eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Today here at our NBC Sports Charlotte studio, and back with us, Steve Letarte, NASCAR NBC analyst. Thanks for being here, Stevie. Appreciate Excited it. as always. <laughs> the equipment's updated. We just fixed the wires. I owe all of the success equipment-wise on the NASCAR NBC podcast over the last year to you. So, you know, Nate, I just want to have a conversation with you. I consider myself to be a pretty optimistic fellow, yet you've finally broken my dreams. What did I do? We're still sitting in your office. <laughs> Not much. A guy doesn't ask for much. This is a recurring conversation. So I'm done having the conversation. I okay. just want you to know, when you lay your head down at night, I want you to know that you broke the hopes and dreams of me. Because I promised you we would go to You didn't promise me. Venue. You just led me to believe. <laughs> I don't want to miss. In today's world of misquotes and bad facts, I don't believe you ever promised. But you definitely led me to believe. At least there were no broken promises. There was nothing unethical. We'd have to check the tape, so to speak. Yeah, we do have to go back and check that tape. Nonetheless, glad to have you back here to discuss a few topics. You're always a popular guest. And we've got a new feature on NBCSports.com this week, Steve, power rankings for crew chiefs and drivers. And wanted to get your take specifically on crew chiefs. I know you've been sent the list, and we're evaluating crew chiefs on various categories, strategy, chassis, aero, chemistry, leader, creativity, experience, X factor. So tell me about how you evaluate today's era of crew chiefs. It's very difficult to separate the crew chief from the team because there's so many parts and pieces within the team that the crew chief is expected to lead. So I think you can separate if you have a team that has good you know, harmony, if they look pretty efficient, if they get things done. I'm going to give that credit to the crew chief because he's the leader of the team. And also, I guess if I feel that you know, a certain car number has an aerodynamic advantage or a chassis advantage, the same thing. I'm going to give that credit to the crew chief because we're not really evaluating the lead engineer and the engineering staff. We have to put a name and a, and a kind of a point to the spear, so to say. So I would say that that's how I'm going to evaluate the crew chiefs when I go through this is I'm going to look at who – when I look at aerodynamics, a lot of that usually goes into qualifying. You can see cars that run better at faster tracks. When you look at leadership, you can look at the morale of the team through the bad and the good. So there's a lot of different ways. As somebody that had to have that role for years, try to look at it from the steps I used to take and, and what I thought the challenges used to be. But we also had the discussion that I'd love to see some sort of anonymous poll throughout the garage. Right. Um, right. Because the one thing I have realized is while I feel – I can deliver knowledge to the fan base, and I feel I could still sit on top of a pit box and strategize. I know for a fact I couldn't be dropped into the garage area and set up a winning car. 
technology moves too fast. I would have to lean on so many people and, you, you know, it would be just ignorant to think that, you're, you know, you have that much skill that from afar you could continue to be totally on top of it. So I just think that that's why the evaluation of the technical side from inside the garage would be fascinating. Why couldn't you just be dropped into it? Because you're only, you're only four years removed from so, it. So the question is, is I don't know. I know that sounds silly, but I, I don't know. You know, um, the truth is because while I still have the skill sets I had before, there's going to be a learning curve. I mean, the, the hot buttons on these cars, whether it's an aerodynamic package or a tire setup or tricks in and out of the garage area to find an advantage, you know, those things, there's a reason experience brings value. I think my experience on top of the pit box would bring value as far as organizing a race team, calling the race, getting the most out of my driver. But I'd have to have a really deep technical team to put a car together that, that I could go race with. And when you were a crew chief, you did a lot of the delegating. You know, when you're talking about you'd evaluate on a team basis on like aero and chassis, those are the things you would delegate. When so you I, you know, I organized my team very differently. You know, Chad was always a car guy. He handled the car. Um, I was never much of a car guy. So I kind of delegated the car. I was in charge of the aerodynamics, but Kevin Mendring, who's now Elliott Sadler's crew chief, did most of all the chassis setup work. Jason Burdett, who's now Justin Allgaier's crew chief, was my car chief. He oversaw all the mechanical assembly, what brakes were going to run, what this. And I kind of was the head of the board, if you could picture that. So we'd have our meetings and did the car chief and the engineer and a couple other engineers. We would sit around and, and they would bring their requests to me hey, we're going to put the Bristol car together. And Jason would say, this is the gear ratios and stuff we're going to run. And these are the brakes we're going to run. And here's the lower control arm configuration we're going to run. And the engineer would say, this is the setup we're going to put in it. And I would say, well, does that marry well with this aero package? And, we, and I would kind of more audit them. Well, why are we going to run this brake package? We used to run this one. This was his complaint. And it was a true belief that I couldn't do everything as well as all of us could do everything. So we kind of delegated, and, and I was lucky to have great people. I mean, look at their success now. Dave Ellens was a crew chief, uh, was an engineer of mine. He's a successful Xfinity crew chief. Jason Burdett was the car chief. Kevin Mendering was an engineer. His brother, Jeff Mendering, at one point was my car chief. He's a crew chief for Cole Custer. And there's a lot of very talented people in the garage area. Crew chiefing tree that sort of came out of your well, team. Well, and if you right? look, I was a branch of Ray Everham's. right. I mean, Ray taught Chad, he taught myself, Patrick Donahue, Brian Weitzel, who's still the team manager over there at Hendrick. You know, I mean, that's just how we were raised, is to hand that knowledge down. And uh, they taught me as much as I ever taught them. It was fun, and we had a blast. Let's talk about categories that I think we can delineate top to bottom, who are the best and worst at what they do in terms of the crew chief side. Strategy would be one. You were always really good on the box. Is that one where you can look now and say, I know this crew chief is better than that crew chief? Like, for example, you know, Paul Wolf ranks pretty high in our rankings here on the strategy category. I think Paul Wolf strikes me as a crew chief that is more on the winning side of strategy than the losing side. Chad Canals, I think he would he would tell you that, you know, he's never been a strategy guy. He's been the fastest car that for the majority of his career. And I think his strategy calls and how he looks at the races has improved greatly over the last three or four years. Cause that's how Chad is. He adapts to what he has. He doesn't just throw his hands in there and say, I don't know what, you know, what to do. So, you know, you become strong at what you have to become strong at. And I think that's what you're seeing. Paul Wolf and Brad, though, have been that team that have always been very comfortable to be on their own plan. And I think that's why he stands out. How much of evaluating strategy is like just how unconventional a team is and how much of it is also you can't be too unconventional because there's a point at which 
going way off the grid from what other guys are doing is going to put you in a bad place. So I don't look at it either conventional or unconventional at all. Mm-hmm. I look at it spots gained versus spots lost. Simple as that. So if your average running position in a race was, say, eighth before this window of opportunity opened that you chose to do X, Y, and Z, and at the other side of that window you turned into a fourth-place car, well, then that's a plus four for your strategy. That's good. Thumbs up. If you are a fourth-place car and when this window of opportunity passed by, you were then an eighth-place running car because you didn't call it correct, well, that's a minus four on your scorecard of strategy. And that's what I think people get confused about is the fans see strategies that win races. Those are probably the least strategic calls I'm watching. I'm watching the 17th-place car that runs third. I'm watching the 12th-place car that flips into a fifth-place car. I'm watching the fifth-place car that was too conservative and now they're outside the top ten and can't get their way back in. Uh, it's not always to, to win the race. Sometimes there's just not an opportunity to win a race. But there is always an opportunity to change your running position within the race. That's where I would start to uh, measure what strategy calls worked and didn't work. That's why there's some names out there that people don't think about. We talk about the lack, lack of cautions this year. That's hurt teams. So if the lack of cautions has hurt Ryan Newman's team, then strategy must have been one of their high points. That just goes hand in hand in my mind. Right. So, and that's how I look at it. So it's not necessarily how you do it, whether you're being conservative or aggressive. It's just, it just comes down to pure numbers, pure results. So I think um, it's very simple. How you do it is an opinionated vote. Whether it worked or not is stats, numbers. I like facts. I mean, don't tell me you, what do I say? Hope's not a strategy. Don't hope it's going to work. Show me that it worked. Uh, I'm a big believer in things are not as gray as everybody wants to make them. People that make them gray are afraid to admit when they were wrong. <laughs> like, no, it's not gray. You should have pitted here. Now, I'm not criticizing. It's very right. easy to say on a Monday. Right. But I think to improve, you have to be able to look back on a Monday and say, I don't know why I didn't pit right here. And that's kind of how you have to do it. And there's still, listen, strategy is very difficult because it's still completely re- dependent on what everyone else does. When the yellows come, there's so many guesses that have to go into it, but it's just crazy. to. It's like poker. If you're an average poker player, well, this guy just got the cards all night. If you're a great poker player, whether you get cards or not, you may not win the tournament, but the same guys end up at the final table time and time and time again. You're telling me they just always get the best cards? They're just always getting the best hands? I don't believe that. Same way for strategy, right? Now, you may have to get lucky to have the winning move. That's why I don't base it just on that. But the same guys can't be on the right decision of all of these strategies just by dumb luck. I don't buy that. How about leadership? What does it take for a crew chief to be a good leader in the Cup Series? So I think you have to understand the relationship of the driver and the crew chief and who the leader is on the race team. Perfect example is Jeff Gordon was the leader of the 24 car when I was the crew chief. I was the guy promoted from within, whether I shouldn't or shouldn't have been. Jeff was the guy. When I switched with Dale Jr., I think I became the leader of that race team. Dale came and drove our cars. So I think a good leader is someone that, is excels at the role in which fits their team the best. So my example is Todd Gordon. I think he leads his guys. Joey Logano, I think, is an outspoken guy in the media, but I don't, you know, he's a young driver, kind of came up through. I don't see him leading the mechanics and the engineers. Just not really his personality. Still a great race car driver. Versus, I think there are other drivers, Kevin Harvick. I think he is the leader of that race team. Now, Rodney does a great job of being right on his hip right, making sure that they disagree in private, agree in public. They always seem to do that, even through controversial comments. So Rodney is someone, which it makes me laugh, because he's about <laughs> as non-emotional as somebody can be, but he, he fills the role 
that they need him to fill in that four car, which is they don't – me and Kevin Harvick, that would be – like I want to lead and he wants to lead, and, man, we would be button heads and, you know, you kind of have to fill that in. So I think a leader is who bounces back from a bad decision, who bounces back from a bad run, who could control their driver, who could control their teams, who can control the emotion. That's a leader. When a crew chief goes to a team, they know what they're signing up for. When they bring a driver in, is it established by a team that we know – Hey, like you just said, like in one case, you were the leader of the team. In the other case, you knew the driver was the leader of the team, three-time champion. Obviously, the dynamics are different versus a guy coming off a two-year winless streak. Is it just – is that something that's understood, or is that something that's mapped out by team and uh, – You would hope and crew chief that's an area where an owner would be involved. Mm-hmm. You know, an owner doesn't need to worry about aerodynamics and tires. and You know, he needs to understand that the business is sound, and he needs to understand that the key personnel are matched up appropriately. And it's kind of – I don't mean it's as simple as that, but in my mind it's as simple as that. Martin Truex Jr. is the perfect example. Cole Pern, without saying anything, runs that race team. You can hear it in the interview. You talk to Martin, whatever Cole – Cole tells me pit, I pit. Cole te- – like, no, like, like he holds Cole as the leader. Now, Cole is not a general. Cole's not out there barking at his guys, and that's not his style. But if you ask anybody on the 78, I think they would say, no, 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 Cole's in charge. Cole's the guy. Jimmy Johnson's a seven-time champion, and I think you would say, well, don't Chad runs the race team. Kevin Harvick probably runs his group. There are those splits. I think even Brad, as much as Paul's in charge, I think Brad is very vocal. You know, I think at times they kind of hand back who's leading that, that charge. As a leader of the team itself, what does a crew chief have to do in terms of just the rank and file? Because obviously the dynamics might be different with depending on if you have an alpha dog driver or not. But just as leader of men who is responsible for the 15 or 20 guys who are on the road each week or the you know, the 40 or 50 that are back in the shop, what do you have to do day-to-day to to be that sort of leader, to be a good leader in that role? You have to single-handedly understand what the most valuable use of your time is. Is the next hour you spend in the shop most valuable looking at notes, or is your hour most valuable directing 10 other people to look at notes and cover more ground? That's really it, right? It really comes down to everyone in the garage area works night and day. You're not going to find time. You're not going to go, oh, I'm going to work. I'm going to outwork these guys. Nope. Nope. No, not going to happen. Right? There, there's not a lazy person in the garage. There's not a lazy crew chief in the garage. There's not anyone in the garage that doesn't want it. There, there are, you know, in some other industries and in some other real world applications, you know, the harder worker moves ahead and things like that. I, I just don't think that works in this little bubble of the cup series, right? Like everyone who got there clawed their way there and they continue to claw. So it is then being efficient with your time, efficient with your direction, efficient with your leadership. It's putting the right people in the right place to succeed. Just like a crew chief should be put in the right spot by an owner to succeed, the crew chief then has to say to this engineer, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. Don't worry about A, B, and C. Joe's got that. Bill, I need you to do this. And that delegation can make a very efficient team. And can you look now and tell you're not competing against these guys on a week-to-week basis, can you tell who's doing the best job of that in terms of chemistry within the team and putting people in the right spots? So I don't know if it's chemistry or if it's just, just performance. Like, mm-hmm. in my opinion, um, if you assume, and it's a big assumption, but just assume that everybody has the same opportunity. We'll just, in this perfect world of NASCAR that we're talking about, we'll say, all right, everybody has the same amount of money, everybody has all the same information. You have to look at the ones that continue to bring the fastest race cars are the ones that are taking... If we assume it's all the same, they're getting the most out of the same. Now, that's a big assumption. You know, we don't know that, but maybe it's cars within the same organization. Some are succeeding more than others. You know, what are they doing with that information? 
I mean, information is is the key to speed in NASCAR. And I know you haven't done the numbers on this yet, but if we were to just put you on the spot right now, would you have a top crew chief, the number one crew chief right now in the Cup Series? Could it be evaluated from your perspective? Um, I think the most valuable crew chief. So, so how I would like to do this is I would like to take the crew chief and extend it to the car. So what I would like to evaluate is the driver and then the car in which he sits in. And mm-hmm. the crew chief probably is responsible for that car. But I think you would almost take it that much. And in my mind, when I look at the success of NASCAR right now, right or wrong, I think Adam Stevens and Joe Gibbs Racing are great, but my gut tells me that Kyle Busch is bringing as much or more to the racetrack than the car he drives. Now, it's a great race car. Don't get me wrong. But his talent is outstanding. Um, Kevin Harvick is talented, and he's the leader. He's kind of doing it a different way. Probably Martin Truex is the guy, and I can only look over his history and how successful he's become in the 78. So I struggle to think that Cole Pern wouldn't be that guy. You know, I'm not going to say he's the most valuable. He's the guy that I would love to take hunting one day and get 24 hours with. Right? He's the guy I'd like to say, okay, Cole, how did this happen? <laughs> I guess that's, that's really the answer to the question would be that. Yeah. Who in the garage area would I like to understand most of how they got to where they are and what they're doing? It would be Cole Pern. If I was starting a race team right now, he would be the one I would go hire purely on Sunday results. I don't really have a, a, a personal relationship with him. I don't know him very well. There are other ones that I think are – I mean, they're all brilliant. It's just right now he's the guy. And, and whether it's the mix of this unique team in Colorado, and the, but in the end you have to give him credit for all of that brought up uh, Kyle Busch. We also did some driver power rankings and ranked them on several several categories. One of them is talent. Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson come to the top on virtually everybody's rankings in terms of talent. So you have to define talent. So when you if you're saying talent is to take a vehicle, not even a cup car, a vehicle, drive it down into the corner, get feedback from that vehicle and adjust your driving ability in the next corner to go faster, then I agree that I think Kyle Larson and Kyle Busch are the two with the most raw talent. Now, if talent is the most valuable guy in cup racing, there are other intangibles that, other than drive down in the corner and make the car drive differently. You mm-hmm. know, it takes a lot. And that's really what we're talking about in all this, right? It's no different than every other sport. There are better arms in the NFL than Tom Brady. There are better legs than Tom Brady. There are, you know, but yet he is the guy. Everybody says, well, he, man, he's the MVP. Well, how can that be? Like, I like the guy. I'm a huge Patriots fan, but you see him warm up. He doesn't strike you as a elite athlete, but yet he is. That just proves there are multiple ways to become valuable. So that's why, yes, for raw talent, Kyle Larson and Kyle Busch, no doubt. And in terms of other categories for drivers, pit stops, uh, Kyle Busch was also near the top, as was Kevin Harvick, getting in and out of the pits. Are those probably your two top guys on, on that front? Yeah, without looking at the data, I would say those are probably two of my top. I would put Brad Keselowski up there as well. He's very, very efficient on and off pit road. Engagement, another category for drivers. Harvick was near the top, and I think you kind of just touched on this with his relationship with Childers. He's, he's a guy who seems to really want to be intimately involved in maybe not every decision a team is making, but on a macro level, he wants to know what the team is doing and why. Whether he should be or shouldn't. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if that's what you need, then yes. I, I never doubt Kevin Harvick's involvement in his race team. Um, I, he's one that I feel if I stopped in the garage, not what springs in the car, but the direction of the team, where they're bringing new cars, what the, I just feel like he would be in the loop of all of that. 
more than other guys like uh, Kyle Larson. I like Kyle, great, very talented kid, but I think he just shows up and drives it. He reminds me a little of Jeff Gordon. Like when I work with Jeff, Jeff's like, hey, man, I'm here for whatever you need, but you were better off just saying, all right, man, go make laps. And he would do it, and he was fast. That just wasn't his role. Uh, Harvick strikes me as that. I think Denny is more involved than people want him to, to, to believe that he is. I think, uh, you know, he gets involved times. He's maybe not as outspoken as Harvick, but I think him and Wheels have a relationship where I don't think Denny is as is, uh, aloof as people want to make him. I think that's that's more of an act than it is. I think he holds his competitive advantage close to his chest, and some of it I think is his involvement, and he just plays like it isn't, so he doesn't show other – you know, he's not one to show you the blueprint of how he does it. Uh, so he would be one that strikes me like that. He's probably more involved than people think. I don't know. I'd have to go through the list. I'm looking forward to digesting it all. But, yeah, those are the two that jump out to me. Let's talk a little about other trends going on. I know one thing that you're interested in is the big three narrative that we've been talking about, obviously, for much of the season. We're taping this year with two races to go in the regular season. And the big three, I think, have won 17 of 24 at this point. As you look at the playoffs, do you see that trend continuing? Because I know that you're... You're somewhat astounded that it's lasted this long, right? I'm shocked that it's lasted. It, it amazes me that Stuart Haas Racing was successful last year, but they have made a, a huge leap over the offseason, so two to three months. And yet, that's with everybody working in the secrecy of their own shop without being able to apply their car to the racetrack. And now they come out in February, and really they've been on fire all year. Now their car, their vehicle, their pathway to success is on display every weekend for pictures and cameras and videos and all this stuff, yet these other teams haven't been able to crack the code of catching up. That That is just shocking to me. Because that's the whole reason NASCAR parks everybody so close together, right? They want well, it's just the, NASCAR, the listen, to transfer. They want know, I'm going to tell the fans that nothing happens at the racetrack without these guys No, <laughs> I mean, you think it, it's not espionage as like a mole on the race team. There are no covers. There are no garage doors. There are no, 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 no. Like every part, piece, change, lap, corner, movement has been recorded and digested by all of these big race teams to try to find an advantage. So the, you know, it's no different than picture. I'm going to use my Tom Brady analogy again. Picture him when he sits down on the sideline and gets that stack of paper and it's camera shots, right? Here's, here's, man. You didn't see the safety who was over the deep right here on this play. Okay, and he goes and he goes through and it's every formation that team's running. I would get those same reams of paper every Monday of, well, this is what this car looked like in the corner. This is what this car looked like in the garage. Just, I mean, that's what you do. You evaluate your competition. I mean, that's, that's how the world works. So I'm shocked that teams haven't been able to catch up to them without, you know, they mm-hmm. see the vehicle they're raising. I know it's way more complicated than that, but that normally tips you off onto something. And so it's amazing. So will it continue? I'm really looking forward to Darlington and Indy. It's the last off weekend. The teams that are started to get a little momentum, I think Hendrick has run better with Chase's win. Um, will we see a major shift? Will all the cars run better at Darlington? Will all the cars run better at Indy? Will Kyle Larson be able to get any sort of momentum? How about Denny Hamlin? He is driving the same stuff that Kyle Busch is. Where is he going to show up in 2018? So I had a lot of question marks that's going to have to be answered. Man, I'm, you know, I'm shocked it is here. So I guess I'm going to double down and say, no, I don't think it could continue through the playoffs, but my gut tells me it's going to. You're right. I mean, to frame this in somewhat more layman's terms, I guess, Joey Logano was talking about this at Watkins Glen where he said, we know what those three guys are doing just based on what we see on the track. We just can't figure out how to get our cars to do what their cars are doing. And, and when they say everything, <laughs> think about this. They get the driver data. Right. So they can, he can see what Kevin Harvick does every single lap. Now think about it. Every lap. So – 
because it's more than just a fast race car. That's the why to your question. Because they execute better. They're faster. They're pit stops. You, you know, they're just, I'm not going to call them the total package, but they have less weaknesses than most everyone they're racing against, and it shows up. And it's not necessarily components or pieces or parts that need to be adjusted a certain way. They're just doing it execution-wise so in a way that... Stuart Haas Racing, it. it appears that they have something figured out with parts and components, and I only say that because of the success of the rest of the camp. Mm-hmm. Not just wins. Forget wins, but they run up front a lot as a group. Where is that in Joe Gibbs Racing? Daniel Suarez, year two. Eric Jones, year two. I'm going to give you those two. Denny Hamlin has Hall of Fame numbers. Like, Hall of Fame numbers. That is my bewilderment with Joe Gibbs Racing is where is Denny Hamlin? Right. That is the that is the one I can't figure out. Another uh, perplexing competition question this year is Chevrolet, which new car with the Camaro and took a while, though, to, to really get their arms around it and seems like heading to the playoffs. Chase Elliott recently got the win at Watkins Glen, but it seems as if the Chevy teams are still struggling a little bit to figure out what that car needs. Yeah, I mean, I actually would say that RCRs perhaps made the biggest jump um, but arguably they maybe had the farthest to go. But they qualified, and we saw two RCR cars at Michigan, of all places at Michigan, running the top five or seven. I know Austin had his issue late, but he was running there. He was running, I think, second up until his, his tire issue. So I don't understand there should be no reason that a new model is worse. And that's the only, that's the only thing I can deduct from what I've seen this year. Chevy has been a little behind what maybe Toyota's done, what Ford's done, and and we can talk about organization. They do things differently, but they've done it the same way for 30 years. So mm-hmm. I assumed that this Camaro would give the teams more latitude to become become more competitive, and it just has not. So I have to ask myself in the 18 or two months, or excuse me, 18 month or two year cycle that it takes to create a new model, what did they miss? What target did they miss? What opportunity did they miss? Did they get caught up in a rules change? Did they get caught up in an inspection issue? How did the vehicle show up approved, painted and polished, and not compete with the two other manufacturers successfully, consistently? And I feel they have – Kyle Larson can do it. He can push the pedal down. I think Jimmy Johnson can push the pedal down. I think, you know, you have some proven commodities – I'm going to say Chase Elliott. I'm not going to say he's proven to go compete with you know, Kyle Busch every week. But, okay, top five, though. I mean, he's a top five or six, seven guy. Like, man, why can he not be there consistently? That's my bigger concern. A lot of people would say that it's they didn't necessarily account for how the inspection process with the optical scanning station and the new way of using all these whiz-bang cameras and high-definition monitors and computer screens to do the inspection. Chevrolet didn't really build that into their process. They had started the Camaro before NASCAR had kind of revealed a lot of what that system was going to look like. Do you buy into that, or do you think that's something that they should have been able to change on the fly because they knew that was coming several months before the 2018 season began? So a car model and a race team is a lot like I'm going to use Apple. So when Apple comes out with the iPhone 12, They have to decide, well, what is the consumer going to want in two years? Because they're two years ahead of the consumer. Mm -hmm. So do they want a better camera? You know, do they want a smaller phone now that we have these gigantic phones? Do we want a lighter phone? Do we want waterproof? What is the thing that the consumer is going to want? They choose. They go that direction. And you kind of, you know, hope your, your 
Intel was correct. It's a lot the same way with a race team. You know, so if you're Chevrolet, what kind of struggle is it going to be? Are these tires going to overall be very tight? Are we going to have a lack of front downforce, rear downforce? Is the inspection process going to be open or closed? Do we want something very sensitive to be moved around, not very sensitive? And somewhere, I don't know the answer, but somewhere in their long equation, some math was incorrect because <laughs> they, or they guessed wrong because right. it, it, it has to, it's a foundational problem. Alan Gustafson, Chad Knaus, uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, Richard Tuzis Racing, Justin Alexander. I mean, all of these folks are too smart to not figure it out. It, it's, it seems to be a found, foundational issue. Chevrolet is not known for having its teams work as closely together as, say, a Toyota Racing Development or Ford Performance. It seems as if those manufacturers are built more well, on the whole cycle to have those. TRD started it right. because Ford, I would argue, worked just like Chevrolet. Until a few years ago. So TRD came in and said, nope. We're the gorilla. Your race teams are all fine, but we're going to provide the motors. We're going to provide the funding. We're going to provide the technical agreement where you have no choice but to do it like we want to do it. Like, I don't think Joe Gibbs Racing and the 78 wanted to work together. Maybe they did. I don't know. I don't think it mattered because the gorilla said, no, you're going to. This is like David Wilson and his group. And now I want to give them credit. They also worked together when they were awful. I remember those years that, Joe, you know, Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch would get out and be like, I don't know, I can't get down the straightaway. We're so far behind on power, how could I ever win a race? But they stuck with their plan, stuck with their plan, and now they have the same continuity of success, which they had that same continuity of unsuccessfulness. So then I think Ford fundamentally, and pretty publicly, said, hey, new deal, man, we got this new tech center, and we're going to reorganize, we're going to get Stuart Haas Racing, and we're going to... And they have found... We say they have found success. Stuart Haas has. I'm not sure Ford has. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Ford. I don't know who else to give it to. Penske's been decent. I mean, not decent. at Stuart Haas's level. Correct. This year, so but, yeah, I'm gonna give Ford the credit, whether it's true or not. You know, I don't know where else to put the credit. Chevrolet has yet to make a move. To to your point, they are still supporting Hendrick, separate than Ganassi, separate than Childress, separate than JTG, and it seems like that model in the current competition, and more importantly, business state of NASCAR, man, they just don't know if that's the best way to do it. So you think Chevrolet eventually could go down the road that Toyota sparked the path for and Ford has since traversed? It's a great question. I don't know where Chevrolet stands. You know, I don't know where they see the value in their NASCAR program. Is it to get all the teams more successful? Is it to have the biggest stars drive their stuff? Is it, you know, I, that's a Chevrolet question, but I can't imagine we're just going to continue to do the same thing without the results. And I would imagine if I'm a Chevrolet team, I'm asking questions on how am I going to get help. It's it's happened before, though. We were just talking about uh, the Monte Carlo was a, a joint Hendrick-Richard Childress racing project that you were privy to that while you were at Hendrick. Yeah, I mean, basically, we RCR and Hendrick separately developed a car and then put it together before it was handed in. And that opened our eyes to a lot of, opportunity that we didn't see at Hendrick you know it's kind of like doing a puzzle and then you do the puzzle and I do the puzzle we do it two separate ways but they're both work and they both get the end category well if we're smart enough to combine those two processes man we just got smarter and that's kind of how it works it started way back when I'm trying to remember the name of the program remember the program with DEI and Childress and Andy Petrie the restrictor plate program rad rad yeah so Hendrick wasn't in that but I think the it's not the details it's the it's the concept it's that we did this on a very specialized scale of these plate cars, and, man, they're really good. So I think, I mean, I know even TRD, like, like a lot of people were like, mm, look at that. 
That worked. And then they've worked through, you know, it's easy to say, but I'm going to tell you, it's really hard to combine technology when you race. It just, re I mean, it really is. So I think that Chevrolet has been successful for a long time, setting the bar for a long time. But I think the struggles we're currently seeing are more than just a body. They're more than just a company. They're more, it, they're, it's some fundamental stuff that is going to have to get tweaked. Interesting. Well, we, as we just talked about, we've seen RCR and Hendrick Work together in the past, even though I think conventional wisdom is that they wouldn't be able to do it. But well, know, they're the only they they're the only manufacturer with two engine shops. Yeah, that's a good point. That's and let's start point. there. Let's start with this most basic, simple. There are other Toyotas. There are other four. But when you talk the big twenty-five or thirty teams that race, there is Roush Yates, there is TRD, and yet there are two Chevrolet engine shops. Even if they were both geniuses, it's more communication. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, do you want to try to go to dinner with two couples or eight couples? <laughs> What's going to be harder to figure out where you're going to go to dinner? So it's the same idea with Chevrolet, right? So if you have all these different companies and you say, hey, we need a new front fascia. Man, it's like a group dinner. We can't decide we're going to have appetizers or drinks or what. This guy wants Chinese food. This guy wants, you know, Italian. This guy wants American. This guy, And you're like, oh, we can't get anywhere that's what happens, right? <laughs> As you try to content, you know, try to go a direction, the more voices, it becomes more difficult. Now, if you can get them organized, it should be stronger, but it takes a lot of work to get them organized. So what's surprising, though, is, is that we're not seeing them on the Xfinity side. That's where my brain is cramping a little bit in this whole situation. Because Justin Allgaier is junior motorsports, you know, so, you know, there's always an exception. We saw this with Roush. Their Xfinity cars were great. Their cup cars were slow. Their cup cars were great. Their Xfinity cars weren't that good, you know. So I, I don't, you know, that makes it even more complicated. So now if you're an executive, you can say, well, well, my support works here. Why does it not work here? Just different levels of competition, though, right? That would be the natural conclusion to draw that Xfinity is not cup. and It is not works cup. there doesn't work at the top level, right? It is, it is definitely not cup. So I just want to give the fans one more thing to scratch their head about. <laughs> they always appreciate it, man. They always appreciate when you come on here and give them lots to chew on, as you certainly did here. Food for thought from Steve Wittard. Thanks for uh, being here. As always, man, I'm, I always enjoy being here. I like to get some of these voices in my head out in real world, so I'm thankful <laughs> that, uh, you know, I have some great arguments driving up and down the road, and they're between my ears. So it's always good to, um, I like to sit here and talk it out with someone, so it's been fun. All right, man. Always here for you as a creative outlet. And the NASCAR and NBC podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating or review. That really helps us out. As always, any feedback you can send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.